All right. Speaking of songs, man, they're, they're playing, whether you're in the mall or whether you're in the doctor's office, which is where we were yesterday for a little bit, um, or on the radio, uh, the, the songs are playing. It's interesting. You know, where you might be walking through a place or sitting at a place and you hear in the background, you know, let it snow, let it snow, and then the next song is, is Joy to the World, right? And then you hear, you know, the song of the first Noel even as you're walking through a place shopping or then you hear Have a Holly Jolly Christmas playing as well and, and just the mix of, of what some would say, the divine and, and the secular. Um, it's interesting. Uh, when I think of Have a Holly Jolly Christmas, does anyone get this, this weird image of Burl Ives in your, isn't it Burl Ives? Yeah, Burl Ives in your head. And it scares me to death. Um, it just scares, it scares me. Do what? It is a snowman with a mustache. <laughs> anyway, anyway. There was one time in my life I liked that song. Now it just gets, I, I'm kind of sick of it, right? <laughs> anyway, just, okay. Um, but, 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 but the lights are, are going up or up or decorations are up. And, and maybe some of you, you know, you look at your neighbor and you're like, wow, they got a quick start. And maybe you feel pressure. Don't feel pressure. Let that go away. Give that up. Um, gifts are given generously during the season. Um, the season is filled with, with giving. Um, and so when you look at this season, it's interesting. I was thinking the other day and, and reading a book by Timothy Keller. It's called The, the Hidden, um, Hidden Christmas. And, and there's a lot of things that, that, are, that are hidden in the songs and the things that we do. Um, I love this time of year. It's, it's one of my favorite. Um, my family enjoys it as well. And, and you think about this world, many... Love this season, believing and unbelieving. Uh, they'll, they'll sing songs about the fact that Christ was born to, to bring second birth and not have a, a clue, obviously, of what it means. But this season brings a lot of people together around the same holiday, the same focus. And the center of it all is Jesus. Obviously, we get that. But often he is lost in it all. And we get that as well. But Jesus is the one that God has chosen to speak through. We've seen that in Hebrews 1 this morning as, as we've read it. We're going to see it in a second. And he is the one to, to be worshipped. But isn't it amazing during a season where he is the center and he's the focus and he's obviously the reason that he is the one often missed. Um, it's been lost in our societies, obviously. It's hidden behind all the festive stuff. Um, but it's interesting. The other day we were sitting watching some, some TV, and I, I don't even know what we were doing. I don't know if we were watching the Cowboy game or what we were doing, but um, a commercial came on, a Dodge Ram truck commercial. Um, and I don't know if you've seen it, but, but it's an interesting one. And it begins like this. It begins, praise the nail. Praise the die, D-Y-E. Praise the rig. And it has all these pictures to go with this, praising work. American jobs. Uh, praise the time card. Praise even, even the green card. Praise um, the worker. And it closes with praise the work. And, and the whole commercial is this. And, and I loved it. My, my oldest son turned and looked at me. And I don't, know, I don't know if you remember this, but he looked at me. He goes, well, this is awkward. <laughs> you know, I thought for a second, you know, a little bit, we were reading a Psalms or something, you know? 
Uh, but, but it is an interesting commercial. But I, but I sat there and started thinking about it. Um, I'm glad my, my son felt a little awkward. Um, but, but, but that's what we have often is we put other things in the place of where Jesus is to be. And we do that even during this season. And so I want to ask a question. Does Jesus hold a place worthy of God in our lives? Does Jesus hold a place worthy of God in our lives? And then the other question to go along with that, if he doesn't, what does? And what needs to be kicked out? And I think that's what the author of, of Hebrews is doing in this letter. Um, in the first century, where we pick up Hebrews at, that's when it was written. Many believe in like the six, uh, AD 63, AD 64 area. Um, it was one of the things that the church was struggling with as well. The, the position of Christ in their life as, as Lord. They were grasping for different things we're going to see in just a bit. But the pressure of their society was mounting on them. The pressure of life was building up. In fact, I want you to, to hear just a couple of verses to kind of help set the context so you know what they were dealing with. But in this period, it, the emperor was Nero. And he would have Christians imprisoned. He would have Christians killed. Um, and, and listen to how the church was responding. In Hebrews chapter 10, it, it reads this in verse 34. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. It's an interesting little throw in there. And accept joyfully the seizure of your property. How many of us today would accept joyfully the seizure of our property? I don't know, man. Knowing that you have for yourself a better possession, a lasting one. That's what the Christians were facing. And then in Hebrews 13, verse 3, it says, Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them, and those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves are also in the body. And so what does this mean? The church is under attack. It's, it's facing persecution. Some losing their property. Some in prison. Some being ill-treated. And as a result of these circumstances that were out of their control... Some were beginning to come weary, to become weary and tired in the faith, to be tempted to give in and to give up, to throw in the towel and say, we cannot do this anymore. We give up. The draw and the lure during that time were created things that were drawing their attention, distracting them. Sure, it was the spiritual, for them, it was specifically angels. The trusting and the worshiping of angels had gotten out of hand. And they turned to angels above Christ. And that's going to be addressed here at the beginning. And so the church in the first century was called to persevere in their commitment to Christ, to not give up, to not give in to the pressure of the day, and to be strengthened in their faith. And I want to call us to the same this morning. In this Advent season, especially in the same way that God does here through Hebrews to the Christians in the first century through this writing with a fresh understanding, because that's what he's going to do in chapter one, a fresh understanding of who Jesus is. He's the one that God has spoken through. And here in this first chapter, the writer is going to show us the significance of the person and the work of Christ 
recognizing that there is none greater and he should hold the place worthy of God in our lives alone. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're, we're going to look at how God has spoken through Christ to the world, why there is none greater. And how, here's how we're going to look at it is, is the writer is going to give us seven affirming works of God and call them seven facts about Jesus. And, and then he's going to give us seven scriptures from the Old Testament. And, and the whole goal is this, to show that there is none greater than Jesus and that he should hold the place worthy of God in our lives. That's the goal. And so I want us to look at the text this morning and begin in verse 1. And look at how the writer begins. He says, after God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son. And so I'll pause there for a second. Think about how, how God has spoken through the ages. We see it in the Old Testament that he spoke through supernatural interventions. We see the, the burning bush. Uh, we see other ways that he has spoken through even a donkey. Uh, I was talking at the 9 a.m. session that we have. Uh, we had a young student in there, and she looked up when we said that God had spoken through a donkey. If you're in here today and don't know that story, go Google how God spoke through a donkey. All right? That's your, that's your first homework piece today is to go do that. Um, but God has spoken through many different ways. Through the prophets of old, obviously. And it says right here that he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets. It's the idea that he spoke to the Old Testament believers in many different forms, in many different ways, on many different occasions. But now, in these last days that we're in, he has spoken through Jesus. You don't need to be looking for any other word, any other revelation. He has spoken through his son. He is the final revelation of God. And he gives him a, a special, unique, one-of-a-kind name. He calls him son. It's a name inherited before creation. His name is son. He is the son of God. And there is none greater than him. And so God chose to speak through his son, through whom he brought through a virgin, which we celebrate this Advent season. And he brought him to this earth to live and dwell among man. And one day he would die, raise again, and obviously send to the heavens, which we will see in just a bit. But I want you to see this morning the uniqueness of Christ. There's none like him. And he is greater. Now, you might hear this this morning. You might think, hey, this is, this is stuff I already know. This, not, a lot of this stuff isn't new for some of us this morning. But what the writer is going to do is he's going to come back and give a fresh understanding of the person of Christ because they've lost that foundation in their life. They've started building their foundation, started standing on other things. And how often might we do that without even knowing it? Where we've gotten off the foundation of Christ being the center of our life and the focus to where now other things have taken that place. And so he wants to bring them back and center their lives on Christ. And here's how he does it. Look at this. In verse 2, he's talking about how God has spoken through the Son. And here's what he says about Jesus. It says, whom he appointed heir of all things. 
And so God has appointed that Jesus would have authority, supremacy over everything. All things fall under the supremacy of Jesus Christ currently. And when he returns again in his second advent, all things will be subject to him even in a more detailed, specific way, even then than there are now. But now I want you to hear, he is ruling and reigning. He is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And every man should subject their lives unto him. And so he is heir of all things, meaning that he has supremacy over everything. And the Father has granted that unto him. And so that's the first point that the writer brings to the table. This is who Jesus is. This is why he is the greatest of all. And there is none like him. And then in verse 2, he continues and he says, Through whom also he made the world. He made the ages. You see, Jesus is the creator of all. He is the creator of all that has been created, both time and of space. There are other religions believe that Jesus was created. He was not. Jehovah's Witness and others alike believe that. But Jesus was not created. He has always been. He is God. But he is the creator. Colossians 1.16, Paul says, For by Jesus all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And so Jesus is the creator, and therefore he is the greatest. And then look at verse 3. He gives us more here about Christ. The third point he makes, he says, He is the radiance of his glory. You see, Jesus is the light of God's glory. Jesus reveals the beauty of God, the character of God, the likeness of God, the worth of God, the awesomeness of God. Jesus came to put that on display. One of the things I love about this, this letter, it's different than any other letter. As we read it here, we, we notice that. And this letter, letter, if you read it, it's more like a sermon. You kind of get that? There, there's points and then there's going to be application throughout the whole letter. And so that's what he's doing here. And so he, he's got his third point down. That Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. And then look at the fourth point that he makes here in verse 3. He is the exact representation or the exact imprint of God's nature. That's who Jesus is. He has let humanity know exactly what God is like through his earthly ministry. That word representation is, is a is a word that was used to speak of what the Roman um, leaders would do with their, their money. They would put an imprint on their coins of the emperor. And it's the idea of, of that with this word, it, that Jesus is, is an imprint, an exact imprint of who the Father is. In John 1.18, John says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten who is in the bosom of the, the Father, which is Jesus, he has explained him. Jesus has come to explain, to let the character of God be known through and in him. And then look at the next point, the fifth one. In verse 3, he says, he upholds all things by the word of his power. Jesus is an awesome force. None is like him. He is powerful. Colossians 1.17 tells us he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Could you imagine if it were not for the common grace of God in our world? 
I mean, we often we sit back and we look at things in our world and, and we will say, man, we'll, we'll get down and out how bad things are. But if it weren't for the common grace of God, the upholding of Jesus Christ of all things, the sustaining of all things, things would be awry. But he sustains all things. The idea that Jesus upholds is that he sustains, but he also carries things forward on their appointed course according to God's will. And he does all this by the power of his word. Jesus is our sustainer. The sixth thing that the author says of why Jesus is superior to all is this. When he had made purifications of sins. So significant. The sixth point that the writer makes here is he says that he made purification, meaning the cleansing, literally the removal of guilt and the forgiveness of sins. Sins is the idea of rebellion against God's word. And so Christ has come through his death, through his sacrifice on the cross, and he has made possible for us the forgiveness of sins, the removal of guilt, which comes through no other. One of the songs that is often sung during the season is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. A beautiful song. If you ever look at the lyrics, it's a beautiful, what, songs maybe three, four minutes, take of Christianity. And in the song, it references this. It says, Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Meaning that he is sovereign, that he is supreme. He is the greatest. He's offspring of the the virgin's womb. And so this is how God has spoken. Through Jesus, he's brought him to earth to speak to us. And then it says this, born that no more, that, that born that no man may die. Jesus came on a mission. His mission, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. That's why he came. And he's made Second birth, being born again, possible through the purification of sins, through his death on the cross, that we would live forever with him. That's what Jesus did. That's why he came. That's why he was born. He alone is the Savior. And the seventh reason he gives to complete his point that Jesus is superior. Listen to what the author says at the end of verse 3. It says that he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. After the cross, Jesus died. On the third day, he rose again. For 40 days, he lived here on this earth. And then he ascended to heaven, where he now sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. He was given by God this choice position, this place of honor, this place of authority. That's why Philippians chapter 2, 9 through 11 says, For this reason also God highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He has inherited a name. His name is Son, the Son of God. And Paul says here, he has another name. His name is Lord, and he is above all, and we shall worship him. And so these works of God, these seven works, these seven facts, these seven points that the writer points to, points to the deity of Christ, to his superiority over all, including 
God's messengers, including angels. Look at verse 4, what he says here. He says, having become as much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. He is the son, and we have seen who he is. So the author is saying, don't get distracted. Don't get distracted by created things, even angels. And we've seen this in our world with the likes of maybe public celebrities that we see. They, they will bring up you know, different things in the, in the spiritual world. And, and even we've seen some get wrapped up in angels as well over time. And these in this context were overemphasizing the importance of angels because many of them had a Jewish background. And in the Jewish background, as Deuteronomy tells us, the angels assisted in the delivering of the law at Mount Sinai, some 10,000 of them. It's referenced in Deuteronomy 33. And so what the Jews did is, is they began to overemphasize this, began to trust in angels, began to even worship them. And so Ryder comes and he says, hey, this is who Jesus is. And he is superior. He is greater than the angels. And then look what he does next. And I'm going to do this very quickly. And we're going to just, I want you to hear these and I want you to listen in light of what we've just heard, he's going to give seven scriptures. And, and this is going to go quick, but look at what he says here. He says, for to which of the angels did God ever say this? And what he's going to do is he's going to say, this is what he has said about the Son in the Old Testament. So the Old Testament talked about the law. It talked about the angels bringing the law in Deuteronomy, definitely helping minister and being servants of that. You betcha. But who has he ever said this about? And there's only one. And it's Christ. Listen to what he says. He says, you are my son. Today I have begotten you from Psalm 2. Again, I will be a father to him in verse 5. And he shall be a son to me. The father talking about Christ. That he is heir of all things. And then look at verse 6. When he again brings the firstborn into the world. This idea when he again, it is talking about his second coming. That when Jesus comes back to this inhabited earth in the second advent, look at what happens in verse 6. He says, let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire? So it's the idea of the angels, are, they worship Christ. Not the ones to be worshipped. Not only that, they're servants. They're swift wind. They're powerful fire, but they're servants. Look at verse 8. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness, talking about Christ, and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. Christ is anointed as the Messiah. He is the King. He is the Lord of all over all the other spiritual beings over the messengers that God has created, the angels. He is greater, and his throne will last forever. His kingship will last forever. And then look at verse 10. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hand. Again, talking about Christ. He is the meteor of creation. He has made all things. And then look at verse 11 and 12. They will perish, meaning created things. But you, 
Jesus, you will remain, and they will become old like a garment, like a mantle. You will roll them up like a garment. They will also be changed. Amazing. Old Testament scripture. In verses 11 through 12, use some from Psalm 102, speaking about how this world one day will pass away. The old will be gone. And the new will come, the new heavens and the new earth. He says here, rolled up like a garment. But, look what he says. You are the same. And your years will not come to an end. Christ will reign forever. He is eternal. He is unchanging. He will never end. And his throne will be sustained forever. And then lastly, look at verse 13. He uses a seventh and final quotation here from Psalm 110. He says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Again, referring back to the position that Christ has even now at the right hand of God. You see, angels serve while Jesus rules. And he is the ruler. He is the king and will be forever When he comes again, his enemies will be judged and every knee will bow unto him. And so the author says, these are seven facts about Christ. These are seven scriptures that testify to who the Father says Jesus is and who the angels are. The angels have a great role. As verse 14 says, are they not all ministering spirits? They are. They're servants of God. They're sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. Is that not their role? It is. And what a great role it is. They're God's servants sent to work on behalf and serve the church. They're not to be worshipped though. They're not to be adored above Jesus. He's seated on the throne as king and angels are dispatched to do his bidding. That's their role. And so he encouraged the church, do not put your trust in them. Do not put your worship in them in them. And so there were those struggling with that, specifically here in this contest. And we could do the same as well. Putting other things or people in the place worthy of God where Jesus alone belongs. And we can be dragged into whether it's materialism or comfort, the God of wealth, consumerism, self, you name it. And so the question is today, in light of this, what is our response? And I'm going to close with with this. And I want you to look just beginning of chapter 2 in this final word today. I want you to see as we leave today, this is what the author was telling the church. This is who Jesus is. He is superior. There is none greater than him. And he should hold the place of God in your life because he is. But listen to what he says in verse 2. This is how we should respond. For this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard. So what we've heard today, what you have heard in your lifetime about Christ and the gospel. And what you have heard today, that there is none greater than him. He is superior to all things and worthy of the position of God in our lives and worthy of worship. And here's the purpose, that we would pay closer attention to what we've heard so that we do not drift away from it. I like the word drift because when you think about the word drift, it's kind of slow, right? 
Drifting is, is not, you know, like a, like a speedboat, you know. Speedboat doesn't drift. It gets going. But drifting happens slowly and over a period of time. And no doubt that's what ha- happened here in the church. They, they were drifting, being led away by angelology and, and these different teachings about angels. And, and over time, getting weary, maybe growing older and tired. And they were drifting away from the truth that they had heard. And so look what he says in verse 2. He says, For if the words spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty... So the word that the angels have delivered, in fact, if you go back to the law, they assisted in that. It talked about the law, and and yes, the penalty of disobedience was just. But listen to what he says in verse 3. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And so here's what I would say today is he is telling us today, pay closer attention to the truth of God that you have heard today that Jesus is greater than anything else. Draw near to him instead of drifting. And anything else that robs you of affections for him, cast them away, lest we drift away. And do not neglect the salvation, this great salvation. Do not neglect it. And so for us today as the church, may we remember that. And if you're here today and you've heard of Christ, you've heard all of who he is, what he has done in today's word, have you neglected trusting in Christ for salvation? If you're here today and and you've never placed your faith in Christ as Savior of your life, given him the position which God is to hold in your life to be the Savior, to be the one that you're trusting and leaning on, believing in his death and resurrection to save you. If you've never done that today, the writer says here, don't neglect that. Trust in Christ. God has spoken, and I love this word, to us in these days through Jesus. Believe in him. And may he hold the position of God in our lives. Let's pray.